is full of mysteries. This is just one of them. STFU. This is Matt's Mysteries Resurrection. Matt's Mysteries presents Mystery Canucks and the Cryptid Chronicles. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the show. I, as always, am your host, Matt, and I am joined by my co-host, friend, amateur cryptozoologist, Etsy-certified basket weaver, expert scuba diver, and aspiring rodeo clown, Justin. I love how my resume just keeps growing and growing and growing. I wonder what kind of jobs I'm going to get at the end of these, uh, at the end of all these episodes. I just hope that someone gives you an honorary doctorate. Maybe I could be a ghost hunter and be the most qualified ghost hunter. I mean, you'll definitely be better than Taps. Tonight, we're going to take a trip to Eastern Europe and look into a creature most foul. This is the story of the Baba Yaga. With all of that said, let's untangle this mysterious mystery and get right into it. The moniker Baba Yaga has been used in classic Slavic folklore dating all the way back to 1755, although it may have originated even earlier. Part of the mystique surrounding this legend is that there is no known common origin story and no texts to pull from regarding where this evil being had originally come from. So when it comes to that point there, throughout my research of, of the Baba Yaga, there's quite a few sort of home-brewed origination stories of the Baba Yaga. So there's some people who said it was actually a woman that existed and she went into the forest and was cursed by a demon in the forest and then she was cursed to forever be the Baba Yaga. Other times, there was origin stories where it said women would go out into the forest because they would go crazy or something like that and then they would each become their own monster that would then be called the Baba Yaga. There isn't any text that defines exactly where it came from and gave a clear story. It's more so, again, it's just folklore and, and a folk tale. So no one really knows where the Baba Yaga stories came from, but the first mention of it in text is in 1755. Kind of makes me think of how the Joker doesn't have a true origin story in the DC universe. Like, his, his origin is constantly changing. I think we're going to need the Mobius chair and ask it where the Baba Yaga really came from. The answers might shock you. Maybe we should get a sorting hat to tell us where the, the Bobby Yaga came from. Does it work that way? I don't know. What house do you think the, the Bobby Yaga would be part of? And don't say Slytherin. No, I would almost say that it would be the troll that they find in the dungeon. What house did the troll from the dungeon belong to? House none of your business. <laughs> in Old Russian, Baba probably referred to a midwife, sorcerer, or fortune teller until modern Russian and other Slavic languages adapted the word into babushka, meaning grandmother, which is used to this very day, while baba remains a pejorative term. 
It is unknown where the term Yaga originates from, but the best theories are that it is from the old Slavic root Yez, or Yeze, which is used in many negative terms like witch, evil woman, spirit, disease, anger, and horror. So the next time you plan on watching a scary movie, you can refer to it as a Yez or Yeze movie and look really stupid to your friends. So I would really like to go and watch scary stories to tell in the dark or whatever the movie is. And I, I want to petition the the Slavic governments of the world to change it to Yeze stories to tell in the dark. Because I just think that that it, it adds an an aura of mystery and horror or Yeze to the thing. So what, uh, could you explain to me what that is? Because I don't know what scary stories to read. In the oh, okay. Is. So that was actually, it was a trio of books. I think there were at least three. There may have been more that came out. I don't even remember when I, I remember them when I was a kid. So at least 15 to 20 years and they were just short stories in pretty small books. I think maybe like a hundred pages or less. And they were accompanied by like really gruesome Baba Yaga looking illustrations and you know the illustrations sold the story and not the other way around so it's it's kind of like if you hear a story about a murder and you're kind of like yeah it's not that bad and then you look at the the crime scene pictures and you're like oh holy okay yeah that's okay now the story is a little a little more gruesome so that's kind of what happened. And then they just made a movie about it where it's not necessarily an anthology. They kind of just combined them all into this hybrid story where it's kind of like Goosebumps where just all the monsters from in the book just start wreaking havoc because someone was stupid and decided to open the book. Is Richard Gere in that movie? Oh, I would love that. Who's in it? I have no idea. Oh, I don't have any idea either. I guess we could Google it, but who cares? <laughs> I got to say... When I was a kid, I had a book. So it was like a storybook and it was, uh, I was kind of like a bootleg mother goose. I don't know where my parents got it from. My, my parents were like really good at buying, like, you know, there's Powerade, then there's Gatorade. They would get like the Kirkland brand sport aid. Like <laughs> they're really good at finding those brands. So I had this bootleg mother goose book and there's a story of, wasn't the boy who cried wolf. It was like the sheep who cried wolf. So there was no boy. It was always a sheep talking other sheep. And uh, for whatever reason, all the other stories were G-rated. But this story about the sheep who cried wolf had a picture at the end of the wolf eating the sheep. And it was a cartoon wolf tearing flesh. And there was blood all over the place out of this cartoon sheep. And they would always skip that story. But I guess as a kid, that was my favorite story because it was like taboo. They would never show that page when they flipped through the book. So I always wanted to hear the sheep who cried wolf book. That's when you like sneak into your parents' room and you find it in like a drawer somewhere and you're kind of like, Hey, I want to read this book. Yeah. And then you open it up and you see the picture for the first time and it scares the absolute piss out of you. And then you see it after then and you're kind of desensitized. So you're like ready for bed and your parents are like, all right, baby Justin, what do you want to hear? And you're like, I want the story with the blood and guts. And your parents are just like, what the hell we raised this kid? What did we do? Yeah, I wanted it because it was taboo. It felt good to look at bad things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were just bracing yourself for teenage angst. You were just, you know, 10 years younger. The Baba Yaga is often described as a single woman, 
but may occasionally be described as a trio of sisters working in unison. She is said to be entirely grotesque, with no part of her body possessing any attractive qualities. Think along the lines of a sack of potatoes that never escaped the acne-infested period known as puberty. She has a giant mortar and pestle. She sits in the mortar and flies around using the pestle as a rudder of sorts, although more modern renditions of this tale make reference to a mop or a broom. So I think it, I think the idea of just like a bag over your head ugly woman flying a mortar and pestle, casting spells on people and like trying to eat them is the funniest thing ever. Like, if I saw that in the forest, one, I would be confused. Two, I would probably start laughing. I wouldn't take it seriously. I'd be like, what, what, did, what did the people in the village slip into my drink that I'm hallucinating this now? And, oh, she wants to eat me. Oh, okay, cool. Like, it just, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like they were taking the legend seriously. Like, the broom, you know what? Even that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, because why would you ride, ride like, a cleaning supply? Like, cool, I'm going to ride my Swiffer off into the, the, the sunset. It sounds like a joke. So, eventually it evolves into a broom and or a mop. So, kind of your more modern idea of a witch. But, uh, I'm trying to think, when were brooms invented? And, okay, while I was writing this, all I could think of was the Baba Yaga riding a broom, and that stupid family guy clip with the with jerry springer where that guy's like i gotta tell you christine <laughs> i'm not really a man i'm a woman i'm a horse i'm a broom and she's like honestly i'm surprised and then baba yaga comes picks up the broom and flies off yeah they should have added that to the bit <laughs> seth mcfarland release a recut of that episode with baba yaga i implore you yeah i just i don't think it's it it doesn't seem legitimate to me like it i mean Myths and legends are weird as hell if you really look at them. Like, some of the things that happen, like, look at Greek mythology. Doesn't Zeus turn into, like, a swan and have sex within it, like, a human woman? That's weird. I mean, some people might pay to see that nowadays, but that's weird. Yeah, no, mortar, mortar and pestle is weird. It's not something that I would typically associate with um, a nefarious ethereal being or whatever you want to call the Baba Yaga. I, yeah, I I don't know. It just makes me think like, isn't that what you use in like chemistry? Yeah. To like grind up chemicals and other things for chemistry. Like it it almost makes me think like she's going to conduct an experiment. Like this is an episode of Mythbusters. Well, okay. So this actually another part of the research that I wasn't quite clear about because I only know so many Baba Yaga stories, but the mortar and pestle, pest, the mortar and pestle. It's it's never really described what she's doing with that or if she makes potions that people eat or she she's not exactly from what I know of the Babiaga and what I've researched. She's not a potion maker. She doesn't give you concoctions that poison you or anything like that. So I don't know why uh, the mortar and pestle is the original um, flying apparatus of the Babiaga and why it's stuck to her. Baba Yaga lives in the forest, any forest at any time in her magical hut that stands on two giant chicken legs. That's a totally normal thing to see in the forest, after all. It is unknown if the hut is sentient, but most believe it is enchanted by a powerful magic from the Baba Yaga. 
Can you imagine a hut on chicken legs approaching you in the forest? We here at Mystery Canucks believe we'd be more confused than anything. She is said to possess great knowledge and will offer help to those who come looking for her, or simply those lost in the forest. In exchange for her help, she requires that the victim perform a few near-impossible tasks. If they succeed, they are greatly rewarded. However, if they fail, they are cooked and eaten. A human f**k-up stew, in case you needed something to visualize. With that, I almost visualize something out of Looney Tunes. You know, like when they're trying to cook Bugs Bunny, and they got the big cauldron, and he's he's like got a shower cap on, and he's using a celery stalk to wash his back. Just imagine that, but with an adult, or like a human child. It's still, it's kind of morbid, because she's going to eat a person, but at the same point, you know, Growing up watching Looney Tunes, that's all I can really imagine. From what I know about the Baba Yaga is it's not your typical witch stewing stuff in a cauldron. For the most part, when you come upon her hut in the forest, you enter the hut. She, she doesn't really greet you. You enter the hut and then she greets you once inside. But she's usually spread out like very, very large and very um, kind of like uh, Mrs. Incredible. She's stretchy, right? Doesn't have quite the same thickness as Miss Incredible, but she stretches out over the hut and is like kind of a shadow. And then as you come into the hut, then that's when she starts talking to you. But she's always like at the same time looking at you entering the hut and she's trying to spook you. And then at the same time, she's also like doubly faced cooking stuff on her oven. And it's always mentioned to me, at least, that the Baba Yaga has had an oven inside her hut. So I don't know when ovens were invented, but uh, apparently Baba Yaga is is. uh She's quite the chef because she cooks with an oven over a cauldron. I don't really understand the need to spread yourself out. Like, that wouldn't scare me. I'm not a mountain lion. Like, I would walk in and, you know, especially if you're the type of person who looks for Baba Yaga in the forest, you go in and and even if she has taken on that form, I'd kind of be like, okay, seriously, cut the theatrics. Like, let's let's get down to business here. Like, where's your contract? Let's Let's get this going. Come on. Again, I'm not a mountain lion. Like, I'm not an animal. You don't have to make yourself bigger to scare me. Like, the fact that you're grotesque might scare me enough. The other thing I don't really understand, and this was a question that I had when I was doing the narration, is, so the house, it's unknown if the house is sentient. What if it is, and it takes on the characteristics of a chicken? You know, like, it sees, like, a wolf walking through the forest, and even though it towers over the wolf, it reacts like a chicken would and just hightails it out of there. So, you know, the Baba Yaga's in there and in the hut and everything's just shaking around. Stuff's flying all over the place and, and the chicken house is just running to the other end of the forest. And if it is sentient, does it make noise? Can it can it balk like a chicken? I'm not sure. I never never came across that. But it made me think of um, uh, what's that house in God of War? It's the turtle house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in like PS4 God of yeah, War. Yeah, yeah, in the new God of War. There's some some cross-contamination of myths going on there. Well, yeah, because that's the, that's the old myth where it was like the uh, the turtle carries the world on its back. Mm-hmm. And then if you read the, the book It, there's a turtle. Spoilers for the second half of It, but there's a giant turtle that lives in an alternate universe that had a stomachache and it threw up our universe. So you heard it here first, folks. We are the product of turtle vomit. Let that sink in for a minute when you have your existential crisis in your mid-40s. So after I watched It, I thought, man, that's such a great movie. 
And Stephen King is such a good writer because I'd watched The Mist and the ending of The Mist was so tragic, but it was such a good ending. It was so impactful and emotional. And at the end of it, it was just a well-done movie. Um, Obviously, yeah, they defeat the bad guy, whatever, make up your own ending. But after that, someone said, yeah, you know, there's an orgy in the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. They they all take turns having sex with uh, Beverly. Uh, Yeah. What the what? what the and they're, they're kids. There? Yeah, they're kids when that happens. I'm pretty sure, too. I haven't read the book in a really long time. But actually, the ending of The Mist in the movie is different from the ending of the book. And Stephen King liked the ending more for the film than he did for his own writing. So I guess Stephen King. Yeah, I know. He he said at one point he just did a bunch of coke and then wrote Cujo, right? Was it Cujo? Yeah, it may have I think been. it was Cujo. He doesn't even remember writing. But I, I don't understand why he needed to write like a 13-year-old orgy into it. It didn't. <laughs> it wouldn't have added anything to the movie. That's. I was pumping his tires after the movie, and then I heard that, and I thought, ah, oh, yeah, just another crazy bastard. Yeah, he's got some stuff going on. I can I can give him credit for being a good writer when it comes to you know more traditional style books. The second you ask him to write anything modern and he writes like a fifth grader, like read Cell and try and take him seriously after that. There's also a movie about it. I think John Cusack is the main actor. So that should tell you right away just how the movie's going to end up. Oh, John Cusack is going to be in the rain and he's going to be distraught. Every single one of his movies, he has a scene like that <laughs> With, without an true. umbrella. Yeah, no, it is true. He, he, You need the water washing over his eyes to mask the fact that he's crying because he's in another movie like this. The most famous story of the Baba Yaga describes the journey of Vasilisa the Beautiful, which is very difficult to say. Vasilisa was the only child of a traveling merchant, her mother passing when she was very young. Before her mother passed, she gave Vasilisa a doll and told her that whenever she needed help, she could give the doll some food and it would guide her. This basically describes most people. Her father eventually remarried a horrible woman with two older, ugly daughters. The stepmother would treat Vasilisa like a slave and make her perform impossible tasks, but with the help of her mother's blessing, she was able to complete said tasks. So based on the research that you did, because I don't know too much about fairy tales and and folklore for that matter. I I know a lot about certain myths and legends because I was one of those kids, but that sounds a lot like, uh, what is it? No, not Snow White, uh, Cinderella. Do you think like the Brothers Grimm got at least not necessarily the story verbatim, but like elements of it? Because the stepmother, the ugly stepsisters treating her like a slave, that sounds exactly like cinderella so when did shakespeare write his plays the 1600s i don't know so it was math amount of years ago yeah but uh i just know about about hamlet is shakespeare wrote hamlet but that's inspired from stories that existed before that now the first writings about the baba yaga um are published in 1755 then the Brothers Grimm don't publish until almost 60 years later. So there's definitely some kind of influence from Baba Yaga stories and, and obviously any kind of folklore in the world. So the Brothers Grimm's were, I want to say Dutch. No, it's not. Matt Damon and Jude Law. 
I can't remember where they're from. Maybe they're English. Maybe we should do some research before we start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this time we didn't do our research. But uh, yeah, so I just know that they published 50 or 60 years after the first writings about Baba Yaga. And again, when Baba Yaga, when the first writings about Baba Yaga are published by a Russian writer in, in 1755, he's taking all the influences of Baba Yaga over the years. So we don't know exactly when it was created, um, but this is definitely not a story that was invented in 1755. Yeah, I was. So. I, actually, that was my next question. I was just about to say, like, I wonder if Baba Yaga had kind of stories from not necessarily even just earlier years, but like something that that would have predated, you know, the early Slavic people. It could have it could have been, you know, settlers who were just moving into the area were telling of a witch who lived in the forest and don't go in the forest, you know, like stay in your straw hut because the the forest woman can get you there. Like, I almost wonder if it was something that evolved with time and was finally published as a story in 1755. So we got to listen to the rest of the story, but you'll see influences from many of the Brothers Grimm stories in this story. So uh, Cinderella, you know, it, it's, it's its own story about a woman who lives with an evil stepmother and then whatever, they put the shoe on her, problem solved. But uh, in this one, she lives with the evil stepmother and then there's like a witch in the forest, which is very Hansel and Gretel, which is Hans Christian Andersen, which is again, much, much after this story is released. So this story has a lot of roots in it that are, it's kind of all over the place, but uh, it's definitely possible that, that this story helped influence all those stories that, that post date um, the release of these writings and, and the first collection of, of Bobby Yaga stories. This, as well as Vasilisa's beauty, angered the stepmother, and as such, she turned away Vasilisa's suitors because it was not proper for the youngest to marry before the oldest. Tradition, am I right? One day, her father left on a long journey and the stepmother sold their house and moved the girls into a run-down slut hut deep in the forest. The mother extinguished all the candles in the hut except for one and then left for the day. Vasilisa's stepsister extinguished the lone candle against the wishes of their mother, and in doing so, an ominous darkness enveloped the hut. The sisters then realized that no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get the candles to light. In a fit of rage, her sisters sent Vasilisa to get light from the Baba Yaga in hopes that she would be eaten. On her way to the hut, three riders on horseback followed her. The first was clad in all white, the second in all red, and the third in all black. What does this mean? We here at Mystery Canucks have no f clue. So that's a that's legitimate. I have no idea what that has to do with the story because that's seemingly where it just ends. Like, do they talk to her at all? Like, do they offer her a ride to see Baba Yaga? Do they say, no, that's a bad idea? Or were they just there? So I actually know the answer to that. So only one of us at Mystery Canucks has no f clue. Fair enough. The first writer's in all white, and that is, uh, what he's he's light or, or good or something like that. The second writer is red, and he represents daytime and the sun. And the third writer is all black, and he represents the darkness. So as she's walking away from her hut, the first writer she sees is obviously the white one. And he, they, they don't talk to her at all. 
And then I guess as the day is getting darker and darker, and then when she gets to the Baba Yaga's hut, the, the rider in all black is the only one left. And he like kind of guides her in through the, there's like a fenced in yard around the hut that's made of skulls and, and people's bones and things like that. And he won't enter the yard, but he shows her like, this is the gate. Now you must pass kind of thing. But he never talks to her. None of them talk to her. And they only follow her for a short while. And then they just dip. They just take up like he just walks with her for a few miles and then he leaves. And then the, the one in the red shows up and he walks with her a bit. And then he leaves. And then the one in the black shows up right before she gets to the Bobby Yaga's hut. See, I can almost imagine given that they, the, their hut was enveloped in darkness. I can almost imagine the one in black being there first because that's literal darkness. But that's just my brain operating the way that it normally operates. But I didn't actually realize that she she like I'm assuming since the house is mobile, like does the yard move with the house or does she just set up shop for a little bit, you know, pick her teeth with with uh, like pieces of like splints from a, a thigh bone. And then when she's all done eating people for the for the year, she likes hops up, you know, waddles on over to another part of the forest and then the house squats down and, and she's good to go again. So I don't know the answer to that question. And, and I've heard this story. Well, I've heard any kind of Bobby Yaga story in, in multiple renditions where the chicken legs aren't always visible. The house is level with the ground. And then when it wants to get up, the chicken legs just kind of stand up. Um, and then other times it's always standing on the chicken legs and you got to walk upstairs to get into the hut. As far as the yard, I don't think it's part of the hut. It's it's obviously never mentioned because why would they go into the scientifics of of yard physics in a old Slavic folktale, right? I don't know. Magic's involved. Nothing has to make sense. I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah. As far as the story goes, this is all like a synopsis. I tried to make it sort of uh, digestible quickly instead of because this this story's long. It's like a whole book. So yeah, I was about to say when when you mentioned that the the yard has like skulls and whatever in it, there's probably like a vulture just perched on the side cawing at her or something like that or like blackbirds. My first and initial thought upon hearing that is she's basically like those people you see in your neighborhood who go all out for Halloween to the point where like they they get t-shirts or like clothing and they stuff it so well and then they hang it from a tree and it looks like a real person hanging like those types of people like the keener types of people who go like all out those people are the best have you ever had an experience where you went to one of those like crazy halloween or crazy christmas people and they gave out bad candy no they always gave out the best candy like i would fill up like two pillowcases from just those houses because i would i would always like double back and go back to the point where they'd be like you you and the you and the the Vegeta costume from Dragon Ball Z you, you've been here before haven't you and then the next time I'd show up I'd have like a fake mustache on like hello I would like to peruse your wares as she arrived at the Baba Yaga's hut she was given the option to cook clean and do various chores for the Baba Yaga to earn the fire for her candles or be eaten if she failed with the help of the doll and her mother's blessing, Vasilisa was able to complete all of the tasks, which led to the witch asking how she was able to complete them. Vasilisa then mentioned her mother's blessing, which angered the Baba Yaga, as blessings do not belong in her home. This led to the Baba Yaga throwing Vasilisa out, giving her a skull filled with burning coals as a reward. Okay. From what I gather, 
She is supposed to present you with impossible tasks. How is cooking, cleaning, and doing chores impossible? Like, was she asking you to transmute, like, like rocks into freaking, like, like iron or something? Or, or I don't know, but it just... What could she have possibly... Was she asking you to cook or, like, you know, mix water and oil? Like, I don't, I don't get how these are impossible tasks. So, in some versions of the story, the tasks are literally impossible. So you can't complete them unless you have the help of some other kind of magic. And then in other versions of the story, the Baba Yaga asks you to do these things. And then if they're not done to her satisfaction, she's, she'll say, oh, you miss a spot and then eat you. Oh, wow. Oh, that's such a dick move. Yeah, it differs between whichever version of the story you're listening to. A better name is Karen. Probably. That's why she has a short, disgusting haircut. She's. I want to talk to the manager. <laughs> I want to talk to the czar haircut. Yeah, I can. It almost reminds me of like when you uh, when you hear the stories of people who have allegedly dealt with the devil and they'll make a deal. But there's always some sort of twist to it where no matter how well it works out in your favor, there's always something that inevitably screws you almost like the monkey's paw. You know, be careful what you wish for, where you'll make a wish or you'll you'll have a request and it'll work out for you. I mean, in the monkey paws case, it works out in a very twisted way. Read that story. It's actually really cool. But with the devil, that's kind of what I thought of when I, when I was, when you just mentioned that, because it almost seems like she'll ask you to do something that's mundane and very easy to do. And you said like, she'll find some sort of imperfection. I almost imagine it where she'll kind of be like, yeah, congratulations. Except, you know, you didn't read the font. You didn't read, you didn't accept the, or no, what is it? The TOS. Yeah, you didn't accept the ter- you accepted the terms and conditions and you didn't read them. Good job. You know, we're going to like you you signed your soul to me. I don't know. You now I now get to eat you. What do they do in South Park with that? They turn them into a human sentai pad. Oh yeah. I keep getting that episode and the I'm a check yes hole. I keep getting those two mixed <laughs> up. <laughs> no, that's the one where they get the TSA to approve people to use the toilet. Oh, okay, okay. So another thing that kind of confuses me, I mean, I've obviously never eaten a person. I've actually read a lot of stories. Like there's that one German guy who went on like Kijiji or something and was like, hey, I want to cook and eat someone. And someone actually signed up to be cooked and eaten. I don't really know why. Maybe he got off on it. I don't really know. But anyway, I'm assuming eating a person, one, is not nutritious, but at the same point, it would be very like there's not a lot of meat. It's like it's like when you get a pound of chicken wings at your favorite chicken wing place and you get that one wing that's like skinnier than your pinky finger and is is like an inch long. And you're like, OK, cool. There's no meat on this. It's literally bone with just like the flavor on it. So like that's almost what I imagine. And from what I gather, given how beauty was perceived around that time, you know, Vasilisa was probably like a fair maiden, you know, she was, she was probably slender with, you know, not a lot of meat. So if the Baba Yaga ate her, like what, what does she hope to accomplish? She definitely wouldn't get her calorie intake for the day. So when you cook goat, you don't typically do like a goat steak. I've never seen a goat steak, 
but you usually put it in some kind of stew and you slow cook it. Oh yeah, curried goat is the best. Yeah, and there's tons of bones and stuff like that. So even when I was in Africa, we did we did goat stew. So I imagine it's the same thing as a person. Yeah, like you'd almost have to put it in a stew. Like you couldn't cut her up and and make a sandwich. Like it just wouldn't work. I mean, maybe if you used like if she like was cool with eating bones, then then maybe can't be good for your digestive tract. But then again, she's magical, so I don't know how her body functions. Clearly, her magic's not that good because she's still repulsive. She couldn't like mask her appearance with like a glamour, a la Melisandre from Game of Thrones. But we're not going to talk about dipshit and Doug who who ruined the series. So let's continue. Upon returning to the hut, Vasilisa's stepmother and stepsisters were sitting inside in total darkness, still unable to light any candles. As they began using the coals, her stepfamily was instantly engulfed in flames along with the hut, but Vasilisa was able to escape. Karma is a stone cold bitch. She then buried the skull so it wouldn't hurt anybody else. It was then that Vasilisa moved to the capital, where she became such a skilled cloth maker that she caught the eye of the Tsar, who she then married. Another rendition speaks of Ivan the merchant's son, who was walking through the forest when he encounters one of the Baba Yaga sisters. He asks her for directions, of which she doesn't have an answer to, so she tells him to continue walking and ask her sister who lives further down the road. Ivan then encounters the second Baba Yaga sister and again asks for directions, which she also doesn't have an answer to. She also says to keep walking until he encounters the last of the Baba Yaga sisters, for she might know where he must go. She then gives him a warning and says that the last sister may try to eat him if she does, he must ask her for three horns, which he will then blow softly, louder, and loudest respectively, to escape being eaten. Ivan continues his journey and meets the final Baba Yaga sister in a field. She greets him and says that she needs to sharpen her teeth before she eats him, which prompts him to beg her for the three horns. He is given the horns and blows them as instructed causing a large swarm of birds to envelop and attack the Baba Yaga. What you didn't know is that this Baba Yaga sister is actually Tippi Hedren method acting to prepare for her role in Alfred Hitchcock's 1963 film The Birds. One of these birds is the mystical and mythical firebird, not to be confused with the Greek myth of the phoenix or its Harry Potter equivalent. The Firebird then tells Ivan to jump on its back to escape, which he does, leaving the Baba Yaga only with a handful of flaming feathers. So this is my favorite story of the Baba Yaga because I had such a boner for the Firebird. When I was a little kid, I was such a nerd and I would go into the library and, and try and read books that hadn't been checked out for a long time. And our school library had this, it was like an 800 page book. And it was all about uh, European fairy tales. And the Italian ones weren't that good. It was all about getting the Malocchio and stuff like that. But the Polish ones, every Polish story was about the Firebird. And I think that's the Firebird is on the Polish. It's not on the Polish flag. 
but I have no idea. You're the you're the one who's actually Polish. Yeah, so I know. I'm on, you would know on some of the uh, crests and things like that. I think there's a firebird. It's like it's like the best, basically the best Polish myth. And the firebird isn't like the phoenix where it dies and then it comes back to life. It's just a flaming bird, and it's fe- like it's always on fire, and its feathers are always on fire, and it's kind of like you said earlier, the monkey's paw. So if you have a firebird feather, it'll do good things for you, but it could also do bad things for you. Uh, depending on the situation. So it's very coveted to find one of these feathers. So it's like a Santa feather that's on fire. It checks if you're naughty and nice. So imagine any old regular fairy tale that we know in North America growing up. Inject the firebird into that fairy tale as one of the characters and just make it more powerful. That's basically every rendition of a firebird story. So there's one, there's one story about a father and he has three sons and he's trying to get the sons to prove who who loves him the most so he can give him the business. You know, it's kind of a biblical story too, right? Well, like Cain and Abel? Because uh, Cain and Abel was when God was like, kill your brother, I think. Oh, no, it's not that one. Or maybe it's the one with the daughters too. I don't know. It's a story about where they, they have to try and prove and then the, the last child doesn't bring anything because he's like, father, you know, I love you. Like you have to, somehow the firebird is injected into that story and just makes everything go crazy. So it's, it's like a steroid injection to any fairy tale. So I love the Polish section of that book. And I would check that book out like every few weeks just so I could reread all the stories of the firebird. That just makes me think it's like a Deus Ex firebird. But if the, if the bird's always on fire, when Ivan got on the bird's back, wouldn't he be set on fire? Or is it just like a mystical kind of fire that it only burns who the firebird wants to burn? This is a mystical fire. Okay. Also, why don't the three Baba Yaga sisters live together? They live like slightly further down the road from each other. So I have a few questions with this. One, do they all have huts on legs? I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Actually, I think that was my only question. The next one was a comment where I was going to say, maybe the fact that they don't live together is sparked due to the fact that they are all just so repulsively ugly that they can't stand to look at each other without throwing up. So it's like, get your own apartment. I don't want to live with you anymore. <laughs> for, their, for their own safety and their lunch, they just make them live slightly further down the road from each other. There's always some kind of conflict between any version with the, the Baba Yaga sisters, where, where some of them will say, don't, don't listen to her, she'll eat you. So there's always something going on between them. I guess that's why in this story they they don't live together. But there are stories where they, there are stories where they live in a in one certain area, or they live in the same hut or in the same little campground. So it makes me think because in a lot of folklore and myths and legends, and even modern writing, I remember learning about this in writing classes. The uh, the rule of three. So the number three comes up a lot in a lot of stories, in a lot of writing prompts and, and things of that nature. Case in point, now I'm going to I'm gonna reference the Disney version, but I don't 100% remember if this is legit for the Greek myth, but the fates in Greek mythology, well, at least in, in the Disney's Hercules version, there are three of them. And I don't know if there's any relevance to that or if it is truly part of the myth where there are just three of them. So I almost imagine if if that's kind of something that was it's it's not necessarily something that we do because it sounds pretty or it's it's you know it it works with the prose but it's something that is just more ingrained into our imagination and that's kind of why some renditions use 3 and 
you know, there was no, I mean, unless, unless there were writer's craft classes in 1755, it almost kind of seems like it's more just built into our imagination. For some reason, we just like the number three. Well, three is divisible into 21. Isn't that a Jim Carrey movie? No, that's the number 23. Oh. Where it's like two divided by three is 0.666. Technically 0.667. F*** you math. But anyway. Because just coming back to the whole three thing, like even when they talk about the horns, there are three horns. But that also begs the question, why would she, like if he asks her for the horns, why the f*** would she give them to him? Like, is it one of those things where it's like the, you know, like a contract with the devil where he has to do what the contract says and that's why you have to read the whole contract so that he can't screw you over. So it's like, you know, if, if he says, if you ask, I'll give you three horns because this is the only way you can defeat me. These are my horcruxes. We're talking about Harry Potter a lot. You know, you haven't used your Bane voice yet, this podcast. I don't really see a point in doing it at the moment because there's no there's no character like quotations to to baneify. But yeah, it almost makes me think of one of those things where the devil you sign a contract with the devil or you you have like there's some sort of stipulation where there's one way to defeat the the evil creature or whatever it is and in some cases in a lot of myths you have to like go find it to be able to subdue the evil. But reading this, it makes me think that as soon as she's about to eat you, like her mouth, she's like a pelican, you know, her mouth just expands and she's about to en- engulf you. And as you're like halfway down her throat, like, you know, you're going legs first, you're halfway down her throat. You go, oh, by the way, uh, can I have those three horns? And she stops eating. You has to like throw you back up and is like, oh, OK, fine. I guess I'll give you those three horns that can defeat me. Like, I just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's almost like when when movie villains have the have the hero tied up or subdued in some way may or may not involve testicular torture a la casino royale guarded by one inept guard seriously and then they then they give you their whole plan in a monologue they monologue for like three to five minutes about you know i expect you to die and somehow during that time the the hero manages to like secretly escape or or lay the found uh or lay the foundation to eventually escape when the villain has left. You know, it's become such a trope that they actually make fun of it. I mean, Austin Powers made fun of it, among other movies. So, it almost makes me think like that. Like, there's just, she's just like, okay, well, before I eat you, I'm going to monologue a bit while I sharpen my teeth. And then he goes, no, wait, give me the one thing that can defeat you. And she's just kind of like, you know, you're like the seventh person to do that to me today. Like, damn it my sisters suck like they're always trying to screw each other over like the the sisters really hate each other i wonder if they're not actually magical and they just live in the forest because they were banished out of town and the two sisters hate the third sister because she like stole both of their husbands or something miss miss stelia man so if if we get into it if we start to try and unpack the myth of the baba yaga i want to say pure statistics and probability what are the chances that in the history of this earth there has never been an old woman who lived in a forest and like once a year like at christmas time she ate a kid (laughs) it's kind of like how people are like oh well you know it's new year's so i'll have a cigar it's like that but you know oh yeah i'll I'll indulge in a little in a in a little uh cannibalism like it just just a little bit you know i just want i want the pinky finger 
And as far as the Baba Yaga story goes, it was uh, it was told to me, and, and however I read it at the time too, is that it was a lot shorter. It was just don't go into the forest as a child because the Baba Yaga will eat you. So if, if you, I think if you went into the forest and you didn't have a question, there wasn't something you were trying to gain, you were just lost, the Baba Yaga would eat you. Man, that sucks. Like, I was the type of person who could get lost in the neighborhood that I grew up in, that I walked around in every day. So if that was a forest, I would be screwed. What I think is funny about these kind of earlier fairy tales here from 1755 is that there's no clear lesson. There's no clear moral of the story. Like, this, these are all synopses of smaller stories within larger stories. So uh, Vasilisa, she actually has an entire saga where she meets the czar and marries him, and then they go on more adventures together, and they try to find a firebird feather. And then and, they blow up the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. It's She's basically the Princess Leia of Russia. So these are just quick synopses that involve the Baba Yaga. But if you look at this story about Ivan, the merchant's son, he needs to get somewhere. So he, whatever, asks for the help of, of an evil being. And then he blows the horns as he was instructed to. And then the firebird just saves him and he pieces out. Like, what's the, what do you learn from that story? You don't learn anything. And the same with um, Vasilisa in the story about her stepmother. So you would think that because she endured the slavery of her stepmother and then was a servant for the Baba Yaga that I guess it almost makes me think of like what I said in the narration where I say karma is a stone stone cold where she was pure you know I mean we don't know well I don't know that for sure you might but she's pure of heart and is mistreated for no reason other than just being more beautiful than the stepmother and her two like stepsisters so because of that she is able to, I mean, like she's able to overcome or I, I don't know. She also has like literal magic in the doll that you have to like feed cookies or something. It's like those dolls. Oh my God. My sister had one of these when I was growing up, I think. And it's one of those dolls that would like cry and like scream if you put batteries in it and it would just never shut up to the point where you're like, you know what? You're six years old. You are not ready to to foster a child. So can we just take the batteries out and be done with it? But you could actually like feed it like water or something in a bottle or like give it cookies or something. I don't remember, but it had like, it it just, it was disturbing. Children's toys were weird as shit back in the day. I mean, they still are. I saw, I went to Walmart the other day and I saw a toy and they were like ninjas, but instead of faces, they were asses. And I'm not making that up. I forgot what the toy line was called. Fart bros. But they had asses for faces. Again, like that episode of South Park where Cartman can't laugh anymore because he saw the people with the asses for faces. So I remember my train of thought. Okay. She gets the light to go back to her cabin to light the candles. But she gets like an ominous light. It's a skull full of hot coals. So I don't think Vasilisa wants her family to die. The Baba Yaga helps her out, I guess, in a way, by also killing her family. It's almost like we were talking about before with the monkey's paw, with, with the deals with the devil, where, I mean, the, the, the Baba Yaga may have given her the coals, thinking that she would try and light the, the candle with it, and she would be the one who burns up, because she was mad at, at Vasilisa for bringing, you know, blessings into her home, 
But at the same point, it almost makes me think that there was like a, yeah, like it's almost like a deal with the devil kind of thing where she gives the, she gives you the coals and maybe if Vasilisa was the one who used it, she would have actually lit the candles and they would have continued their lives. But because the stepmother and the stepsisters are horrible people, they were probably like all egotistical and were like, no, I'm going to be the one who saves the day and then goes to pick the coal and immediately bursts like spontaneously human combusts into flames. So it's like one of those things where there's kind of a catch 22 to the whole situation where only she would have been able to use the coals Mm. because because she actually completed the task, even though she cheated. Technically, she cheated. You know, she she brought performance enhancing blessings to the to the table there. She was doping <laughs> like Lance Armstrong in 1755. It kind of reminds me the way you talk about the the stepmother and the stepsisters saying that they want to be the ones to light the candle. So every time you go camping or every time you're out in the woods with a group of dudes, there's always that one guy that's like, oh, trust me, I know how to light a fire. And he's always got to show off how macho he is. So it, it always makes me feel if anybody invites me to a camping trip, I just got invited to a camping trip that I don't need to know anything about camping because there's always going to be one guy who's going to want to show me how good he is at camping. So I don't need to, I don't need to put my tent up because he's going to be like, Oh, you don't know how to put your tent up. Watch this. And he like do all my work for me. So it really just rewards the lazy and I love it. So as a, as a small child, I was part of a private ski club. There's only a few people who will get that joke. Anyways, as a small child, I had my own Baba Yaga and it came from my grandfather on my mom's side. So my Polish grandfather, And when I was six years old, I started going up to his cottage. Now, his cottage was kind of in the middle of nowhere in northern Ontario, the closest town being Arden, Ontario. If anyone knows where Arden, Ontario is, I think there's maybe a hundred. There was 150 people when I was six years old. There might be 300 people there now. And And at least one one of them is a serial killer. Yeah, there's one general store there is really small, beautiful place to live. If you can stand to live that far out from uh, civilization. We were also on a peninsula, so there was no roads into the cottage. You either had to hike through a swamp or you had to boat into the cottage. So you were pretty remote. And uh, the cottage had electricity, thankfully. it When it was first built, it didn't have electricity, but it, at this point it did. And there was no flushing toilets, so you always had to poop in an outhouse. So it was like kind of not quite a real cottage, like one that has no electricity, but it was you know, kind of scary for six-year-old me. I'd never pooped in an outhouse before. And it's really something when you're trying to, you know, like you're a little constipated and there's like spiders about to crawl onto your legs and you're trying to step on them and also poop at the same time. I do. I can safely say that I do not share that sentiment. I've never experienced that in my life. Yeah. And this isn't the Baba Yaga, but this might as well be another Baba Yaga story is that for whatever reason, there was clear glass. There was a clear glass window on the door of the outhouse because there was there wasn't a light in the outhouse. So you would be sitting there taking a shit, and if someone walked by, they could just wave at you and you could wave back to them. I don't know why. <laughs> don't mind me, just uh, taking the taking the Browns to the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, this this was the cottage, and the cottage was it's built on the Canadian Shield, so it's really uneven ground, and you can't really level it because it's all rock. It's all bed. I guess bedrock. I don't know what kind of rock it is. Um, so it's built on not stilts, but it's raised. You can actually go underneath the cottage and see all the. Plumbing. The cottage was built on giant chicken legs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically. And uh, are you sure your grandfather wasn't Baba Yaga? <laughs> well, what he told us is that at night, I remember telling him at night I, I was hearing stuff like clinking under the cottage, and he goes, "Oh, I don't know if you're ready to hear that story." And I was like, "Oh no, what is it?" come on, granddad, you got to tell me. And so I was up there with some friends I had met. So me and there's what, three, three other six-year-old kids up there, maybe a few other kids. 
and him and his good friend at the same time in unison are telling us the story of what they call Clubfoot. And it blew my mind because my grandfather was saying it and his friend was corroborating it like it was real. So they told us that back in, back in the olden days when there was no cottages here, there was a hunter and he was walking through the woods and he had put out some bear traps to catch bears, uh, to hunt bears. And I don't know, he, he had found a bear that tricked him into stepping into his own bear trap and it had chopped off his foot and left him with a club foot. And so he couldn't stand up anymore. He would crawl around with his club foot dragging behind him. And uh, to survive, he had to eat his other leg. So he only had a club foot and that's why he had to crawl. And they told us never go under anybody's cottage because Clubfoot is still alive today and he haunts the underneath of anyone's cottage. And so as a six-year-old kid, it was awful. And that's the same time I watched Species. So I don't know if anyone's watched the movie Species, but there's a scene where um, the alien reaches into a girl's back and rips out her spine. It's pretty gruesome for a six-year-old to watch. And that gave me nightmares forever. And I always imagine the Clubfoot, I always imagine Clubfoot climbing under the cottage and then reaching up through the floor of the cottage through my mattress and pulling my spine out through the mattress and it scared the living shit out of me and every year i would go up to the cottage and there'd be a noise and he'd say you got to watch out for clubfoot and i believe that shit until i was like nine or ten so it went on for like three or four years and he he never told us it wasn't real so so that's your baba yaga story that's yeah that was my own personal baba yaga so it was like don't go off into the woods i think they were just trying to tell us don't run away because th- there are bears like we've we've had bear incidents before um so they're just trying to say don't go out in the dark or else clubfoot will get you don't wander too far or else clubfoot's going to get you but they were trying to be nicer and, and instead of being like a bear is actually going to eat you it was scarier that uh that we had clubfoot see i never had any of that my parents were like if you go out and you try and run away or you go out in the dark stranger danger someone's gonna pick you up in a in an unmarked van and you're never gonna be seen again and that scared me and my sister enough to never want to do that. So we were, we were, I mean, I was a shithead as a kid, but we were pretty well behaved nonetheless because, you know, didn't want to get taken by no stranger dangers. I mean, that was a, a pretty common thing. I mean, it still is now, but I remember the old stranger danger commercials. Today, in popular culture, you may have heard the term Baba Yaga used in films, including John Wick, to refer to the boogeyman. There is also a Rise of the Tomb Raider DLC titled Baba Yaga, and there is even a Kislevite unit in the Warhammer tabletop games called the Baba Yaga, which uses the chicken hut as a war mount. She is also the main villain in a Hellboy short story titled The Baba Yaga, in which she tries to exact revenge on Hellboy. Further. If you're familiar with the Witcher series, then you can see the resemblance of the Crones of Velen to the Baba Yaga trio of sisters. It is also believed that the Baba Yaga inspired newer fairy tales like that of Hansel and Gretel. Perhaps one day we'll get a compelling origin story for this bizarre creature, but until then, there is more than enough pop culture inspired by the Baba Yaga to enjoy. Which is your favorite? So I have my own kind of like Hansel and Gretel story. No, I was not a kid who found a house made out of candy, although that would have been really cool, even though I don't really like candy. So I, this past weekend, 
went to a friend of mine's cottage again in northern Ontario. I think the the closest town to their cottage is Caledar, Ontario, which has a population of math amount of people. You know what's funny is that Caledar is like 30 minutes from Arden. So we're we're in the same area. So maybe it was Clubfoot then. Yeah, so you're you're probably pretty familiar with Clubfoot of the Salmon River. So we were actually driving home. So it was it was the long weekend in August and we were driving home uh, we're on, I think it was like the, uh, the trans Canada highway or something like that. And we passed through an even smaller town. I don't know how many people I didn't look at the sign, but we're sitting in traffic and I'm sitting uh, with my girlfriend and she goes, Oh, that's such a cute little house. And I'm looking forward because I'm driving, but we're also in standstill traffic because it's cottage town. People are driving home. So a lot of traffic. So I look to my right. And I see this this house, and it looks very much like what you would imagine the uh, the the witch's house from Hansel and Gretel looking like, minus the candy. But like, it looks like it could be shaped like that. And if you like, if if you strip the paint, it would be gingerbread. So, I said that to her. I said, I guarantee you, they lure kids into their house and eat them. And you know, she's she's a good person, so she's going, oh no, that's it's so cute. What are you talking about? And then as I'm saying that, a little old couple comes outside to like do some gardening and she goes, oh, and the people are so cute too. And I go, yeah, that's what they want you to think until you get into their house and then they stuff you until you're like, you know, 400 pounds and they somehow fit you into their oven and they eat you. And, and that's, that's my story about how I saw the Hansel and Gretel witch near Caledar, Ontario. That's where the movie The Visit was filmed, was probably in that house. Oh my god, M. Night Shyamalan, tweet at us, tell us if that's legit, because I may have just found the, uh, the, the grandparent imposters. Sorry, I just spoiled a movie for you, but then again, it wasn't that good a movie, in my opinion, so... There is no explanation as to how the Baba Yaga came to be, or how real the stories truly are. Is it just a fairy tale used to terrify children from running off? Or is there more to this grotesque woman who lives alone in the woods? Do you believe in witchcraft and sorcery? Was a small Slavic town at one time terrorized by an evil woman who just wanted her house cleaned? How many missing Slavic children were actually eaten by a version of the Baba Yaga as they ran off into the forest? Could this just have been an angry cannibal? Or is it just an old wives' tale? We here at Mystery Canucks don't know what to believe, but nonetheless, we are perfectly safe because the Baba Yaga doesn't seem to have a passport. With that said, we won't be taking any night hikes into the Siberian wilderness yet. Okay, so I mean, that comment about the Baba Yaga not having a passport, I mean, it's probably good that she didn't because, you know, if if she had come to North America for whatever which reason, you know, she probably would have been one of the many casualties in the Salem witch trials. Don't get me started on witches because I went down a whole rabbit hole in my head. So I was, this is the scenario I'm imagining, okay? So maybe the Baba Yaga was a real person. Because we know that people actually believed witches existed and they actually persecuted people for witchcraft and not just the Salem witch trials, but for thousands of years before that, 
if someone had been suspected to be a witch, they'd be executed or killed or run out of town or mysticized or whatever verb you want to use to describe them. I was thinking about how the Baba Yaga came to be and if it was a woman who lived in town, it was just like a single lady who never married, who was kind of ugly. And, you know, there's a Karen down the street and her husband runs off with some young hussy who's new to the town. And she obviously has no idea. And Karen sees a a frog jump into her house, sees a a mouse come into her house or a rat. And her her husband hasn't been home in a week. And she says, you know what? I bet you that bitch. That ugly bitch down the road turned my husband into a frog. And then she starts the persecution of this poor old lady. And uh, she moves into the forest and becomes angry and maybe eats a few kids. I'm going to stamp this one plausible. Back to the myth. Back, back to you, Adam and Jamie. So I, I do agree with you because the way that I see it is a lot of maybe not mythology as a whole, but a lot of folklore, uh, a lot of old wives tales have some sort of logical or real world basis that is then spun in a uh, fantastical way so that at least if you're telling it to a kid because of how, how expansive a kid's imagination is, it kind of resonates with them and it, and it can either freak them out or it intrigues them, whatever. So the way that I see it, is it's almost like there was a so it could be someone who like is banished from from a town or a little village or they you know they're one of those people who you know rents a u-haul and is is all like i'm gonna make a go of it in a new city i've never driven a u-haul before but you know good luck everybody else and they go into the forest and either become lost or the the intention was to live in the forest off the land like the uh what is it the history channel has that show mountain men where they all live in the forest and they just suck at life and they can't catch animals for for any you know for for their life they just can't catch an animal and so they're hungry so you know they have their little hut that they were able to build in the forest because they're carpet, they're carpenters, Matt learn how to speak words. And because they can't catch animals and trap animals or whatever, they can't hunt. They then resort to basically, you know, the extreme, they go to cannibalism where if a kid or a traveler comes into the forest for whatever, which reason, or the kid runs away or gets lost and they come across this hut, the person might, you know, be like, yes, come on in, whatever, like try and be hospitable and then bludgeon them to death and eat them or something. You know what I mean? Like to, to, because they are starving. That's almost kind of how I imagine it starting at the very least where it would start with someone who just, you know, sucked at life, went into the forest, sucked at life even more there and preyed on people who came into the forest as their as their source of, of caloric intake. And because of that, you know, people start going missing and then rumors start spreading and, and people talk and it could have just started with, Hey, you remember Fred? Yeah. He, uh, he's out in the forest eating people now. So don't, don't go into the forest or Fred will kill you and eat you. 
And because no people, like no group of people can pass information around without it getting jumbled up and, and stretched and exaggerated. I mean, you remember broken telephone as a kid and one thing leads to another. It goes through the grapevine of people. And when it gets to, you know, Barbara across town on the opposite end of the forest, she hears it as there's an evil witch who lives in the forest who eats people when they, when they enter her domain. And, you know, that's kind of my theory, at least, as to how the Baba Yaga started. Like, I think it's entirely plausible at that point. So I think what's unique about this one is that the Baba Yaga has always been described as a as a woman or some kind of human form. Um, it's never, I believe it can shapeshift. It can look a little better. It can look a little worse. It can be kind of spookier like a shadow. But it's always been a woman. It's not like a dragon where... You can say, I don't know if dragons ever existed. You can look at people and say, yeah, women exist. And Are you sure about that? Yeah, and say that one of them could have been the Baba Yaga. So I think there is a, um, I don't want to get the country wrong, but again, an Eastern European, she was a, a count or a countess or some kind of ruler, and she locked herself in a tower, and she would uh, have her staff kidnap virgins, virgin oh, women. Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah. Countess of blood. Yes, exactly. So if someone can do that, I, for a second, do not believe it is out of the realm for someone to be old and decrepit and live in a forest and eat lost children. Even if, if, if we're talking, let's say the, the legend of the very first Baba Yaga, where the legend truly started, it might've been exaggerated. It, this person doesn't have to have eaten a hundred children over their life. Because let's say they started eating kids at, I don't know, 35, went through a midlife crisis, and then ate... (laughs) (laughs) They didn't buy a sports car. They started eating people. Yeah. And then ate kids until they were like, I don't know, let's say 65, 70. So they don't need to have eaten 100 kids. If they ate just five or six kids, I think that's enough for me to say, okay, that was was real. The Baba Yaga was a person who, although they weren't mystical, had exhibited enough qualities that were close enough to the folk folklore version of Baba Yaga that the Baba Yaga did exist. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like one of those things where there are a lot of urban legends, even from like more recent history, that turn out to be real in some capacity and they've just been exaggerated slightly. Like there's the one about the, the couple who goes into the motel and there's the really weird smell and they find a corpse like in the mattress. And they actually, that actually, something similar to that actually happened and that's how the urban legend started, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. You can yell at me on Twitter if I'm wrong. But they may actually have, like, there may be some merit to these stories that are then stretched to the point of becoming, you know, like a myth and a legend. Uh, it's, it's, I'm assuming a lot of myths and, and legends from, you know, the Greeks, the, like, the Native Americans the like the Aztecs the Maya like whatever they all have some sort of I mean a lot of them do explain real world events I mean look at Noah's Ark like it talks about like a global flood and we know through science that like there was a global flood at least at one point in human history and and you know they may have that's how these stories had started and and a lot of civilizations actually have a global flood myth and they you know almost every major civilization has a creation myth and like myths and legends are weird as shit. like i recommend people read as many as you can from all over the world like 
Don't be picky. Seriously. I recommend the Firebird, the Polish myth, the Polish legend. It's a great one. Like when I grew up, I read a lot of Egyptian myths and legends. I re- I read a lot of Greek myth uh, myths and legends. And I read a lot of uh, of Native American myths and legends, mostly because the Native American ones being Canadian, we learn about a lot of those in school, which was actually really cool. Like history class when we would learn about those legends was like my favorite. But I recommend to anyone, like seriously, pick up a book on mythology or folklore. They're weird as hell. They're cool, but they're weird as hell. But for maybe not all of them, but a good portion, they do have some sort of grounding in some sort of historical event or something that really happened that was just exaggerated and stretched and and you know it's almost like it's a ball of clay and you're like morphing it into something like it turns into something different from its base form it's almost like what uh, what George Martin did with Game of Thrones like a lot of the events in Game of Thrones were and a lot of people from Game of Thrones or a song of ice and fire, I should say. Game of Thrones was the travesty of a TV show that was botched by two dipshits. They like he a lot of the characters that he had created, a lot of the events that have taken place were based on historical events, like the War of the Roses, and uh, I forget, but I think Joffrey was based on like a Portuguese king. I think it was Portugal, either Portugal or Spain, and he was a king who was like a huge piece of crap, and like a lot of these, like they have historical basis. That was then exaggerated and, you know, blown out of proportion to the point where they become these large scale, like, you know, over the top battles and and whatever. And, and, you know, who's to say that if he really wanted to, George Martin really could start his own mythology with that kind of foundation. So I definitely believe Baba Yaga may not have been like an evil witch living on a on a chicken hut but she may have been someone who was extremely desperate and was either maybe exiled from town or left town and just could not make a go of it in the forest and so she had to resort to killing people and this is it's going to get really really twisted for a second here i'm going to reference brooklyn 99 amazing show for those who want to watch it but i think it's in season five when they go to prison spoilers and jake meets the cannibal and he talks about how he ate mostly kids because he's like kids are easy subdue man one conk on the head and you're done like it almost makes me think that she could do something like that out of necessity and then like you said, where, I mean, if one kid goes missing, people probably, they'd be worried, obviously. Uh, or if, like, an adult goes missing, people would be worried, they'd be concerned. But their first thought would not fall on a, a deranged cannibal. Instead, they would be like, oh, well, maybe they got lost and, like, a pack of wolves got them. Or they got lost and they, you know, fell in a ditch and, and died. But if more kids start going missing, they might think, like there's something more to this they investigate they find that they think maybe that hut has something to do with these children or these these people going missing and then they find out that you know a crotchety old woman lives there at this point and they think hey she's a cannibal and then like i said where word travels broken telephone and it gets to someone else and they go oh yeah karen she's a witch but we're not going to call her Karen anymore. We're going to call her Baba Yaga because reasons. 
So there are some versions of the Baba Yaga story where Baba Yaga will go into your house at night and kidnap the bad children. So I think Baba Yaga has sort of evolved into a way to get your children to behave. Yeah, that's like you said that there there needs to be some sort of lesson attached to this. I feel like it's not necessarily a lesson, but it's almost more of a uh, more more of um like a like a, a fail safe to get your kids to behave because, like I said, kids have really expansive imaginations. I'll tell you I'll tell you another story that was cut from the last episode because it was irrelevant, and I mean it's still irrelevant. It's still irrelevant now, but. It just goes to show how kids' imaginations can really mess with them. So when I was a little kid, I was very stupid. My grandfather on my mom's side had a pool at his house. And this was a very old school pool that didn't have any like fancy tilings. And it didn't have like a, like a lining in it. It was literally just a hole in the ground with concrete and filters. That was it. It may have had, you know, like a design at the top, but at the bottom it was just white concrete. And so when I was a kid, I saw Jaws very early. So Jaws came out in the 70s. I was not around. I watched it very young. Jaws and The Shining were the first two movies that genuinely scared me as a kid. And when I was younger, I if I couldn't see the bottom of like a like a lake or the ocean or something, I would think that there was like a shark gonna come up and eat me. Um, and actually what's kind of funny is shark week hadn't been a thing that I was investing in as a kid. So I didn't actually realize that great whites actually do that. They'll like hide kind of almost, and then they'll like rocket themselves straight up to, to attack a seal. But I was a kid, you know, got my water wings on my, my little floaty, like my rubber duck floaty around my waist, kind of just bobbing around in, in the pool And whenever I would look down, I would see literally just white because it was just white concrete. But my imagination would fuck with me and I would think that it was white, not because it was concrete, but because it was just like a murky part of the water and there was stuff beneath it. Because I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have the swimming skills to go down and touch the bottom yet. So I always thought that. If I if I waded off into the deep end, if I would float off into the deep end, then a shark would come up and like attack me. Not a smart kid, but it just goes to show how your imagination when you're younger can really warp your sense of the world. So I can definitely see Baba Yaga, among other uh, like old wives tales, being used as a means of making sure that your kids don't get up to no good. Sharks were your water yaga. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They were my they were my club foot. The club fin. There you go. But I I'm going to end this thought. It's it's one continuous thought because I was thinking about this the entire time I was telling you my shark story. If you look at we could we could cover this in the future because there have allegedly been sightings, so there may be more to this than just a story. But in Canada, among other places, but I'm going to reference Canada specifically because that's where I'm from, eh? There are a lot of alleged lake monsters. Like there's Ogopogo. I forget what the one in Lake Simcoe is called, but there's allegedly one in Lake Simcoe. But the I'll, I'll talk about Ogopogo specifically. So Ogopogo is 
a serpentine lake monster that would attack people who would go swimming. Uh, I don't, I don't remember the myth too much, so I don't know if it would attack boats or other things, but you know, if you were swimming in the lake and you, and you went off a little too far, you would, you would get swept up by this monster. And I remember watching a documentary on, well, it probably wasn't a documentary. It was probably like one of those history channel shows where they try and make it seem like a documentary, but it's a bunch of like crazy people who are experts in something that has absolutely nothing to do with the thing that they're investigating. And they were talking about Ogopogo and other lake monsters, and they theorized that most lake monsters, at least in North America, uh, not most of them, but like some of them, at least the ones that I was thinking of, were referenced in Native American folklore, and the reason why they would talk about lake monsters specifically was as a means to make sure that their kids didn't swim too far out where they wouldn't be able to swim back and then they would drown. So it was a means of keeping their kids closer to the shore as, and, and because they can't say don't swim too far out because then we can't get you because the kids may not believe them. They might be like, Oh, well I, I can swim back. Like I'm a big kid now, you know? And then, you know, they, they can't because they're, they're kids, right? You know, we're always overcompensating for, for that we can actually do versus what we think we can do. And it's worse when you're a kid. I mean, some people never really escape that stage of their lives. No offense to those people, but you got to get your ego in check. And that's why Baba Yaga and Lake Monsters and stuff like that exist. It's to make sure that these kids don't get too adventurous for their own good and end up getting killed because of it or, or not even killed, but just like hurt or maimed or they get kidnapped or like something bad happens to them. But I definitely do think at least in Baba Yaga's case that it was, there, there's some sort of real world equivalent that was stretched and exaggerated to the point where it's like like you talk about with that camping trip where there's always that one person who goes fishing and comes back and tells you the story like, yo, I caught a I caught a smallmouth bass. It was this big, implying it's like 15 feet long and he had to like hoist it up with a crane. But it was actually like the size of his the size of his pinky finger. It's a really good point. I think you summarized what what I was trying to say. This story is an interesting one to say the least. Anytime we deal with a cryptid that has a mythological or folklore-ish backstory, it, it always tends to fit more of a imaginative kind of discussion. I mean, we tried to ground it in reality as much as possible, but it's very difficult when you're dealing with you know, a gross looking woman who rides a house on legs, chicken legs, nonetheless. But nonetheless, it's a very interesting story to look at. And we will be doing more mythological creatures and creatures from folklore in the future. But I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope, I hope it was insightful. I hope you learned something about, you know, mythology today. And it might make you go to your local library and pick up a book on firebirds. And, yeah, I think that's it, so. What do you think? Could the Baba Yaga and her Kentucky Fried Hut really exist? 
Thank you so much for listening. If you have suggestions regarding potential mysteries or are a content creator who'd like to be featured as a guest on the show, send me a message on Twitter at STFUCrewReborn. If you'd like to catch the show when it's live, follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash MattSTFU. Links to everything, including the featured guest, will be provided in the show notes. I'm MattSTFU signing off. Stay safe and stay mysterious.